Well, good morning, everyone. What a beautiful, beautiful day. Words cannot explain the amount of gratitude, thankfulness, and awe I'm feeling these moments. I'm actually going to hold myself back. It's really good to see you guys. Real Bible guys, made of paper, leather back. Do you know what I mean? Not a slide on Zoom. Real paper with handwritten notes. What a joy. Real human beings who will laugh at my jokes. Please. I'm going to tell you guys how many times I preached on Zoom, popped a joke, and the only thing I saw was black frames with names. And then I'm standing in my study with my Hawaiianas thinking that I'm killing them. But I actually don't know if anyone laughed. A couple of you. Uh, you still have your cameras on, and I am really thankful for that talk because at least you gave me some form of energy. Guys, it's really good to see you. Um, thank you for the video for hosting as well. Thank you, Summary, for leading as well. Thank you, uh, Sanaba, for reading the scriptures to us. And thank you, special thanks to my big brother, Lissapo, for pulling all of this off. Guys, he's got a work ethic and a work rate that belongs in the heavenly realms. So, mate, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. And then a special bit of thanks from me to all of you who pitched early this morning and just got stuck in it. You know what I mean? Like, you caught me off guard. You were here way too early. And I, ye of little faith, thought, listen, the coffee isn't ready there yet. You might just want to hang around. Cloths, wiping chairs, mopping floors, painting walls, sharing the gospel like it, it was just happening. So guys, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for, for making this happen. Uh, for trial round number one, I think it's been absolutely phenomenal so far. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Let me, uh, let me try our sermon for us. Let me do a prayer before uh, uh, we start with our three points. And uh, guys, we'll be off in the book of Acts. So, we are in the book of Acts, you guys know that. So far, we've said the following about this book. We've said that it's a continuation of one massive story, right? So, the message of Luke continues, the ministry of Jesus continues, the mission of the church continues. Second sermon, we looked at a case study for how to find God's will from both His revealed will and His concealed will. And last week, we did an overview of the whole chapter 2, and we said we're going to speak for four weeks on chapter 2 only. The simple land of the plane last week by saying that the promised Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of Scripture, and it puts us smack bang in the last days. So having the Holy Spirit in us and uh, fill us means that we have the power and presence of God. Uh, so sorry, we have the power and presence of God to speak about God and to declare the magnificent acts of God. He also said last week, the Word of God and the Spirit of God is enough to complete the mission of God in making God known to the ends of the earth. Now our focus today in this sermon will be the words of Joel, which was quoted by Peter, and it was quoted by Peter in his response to the event of Pentecost that was just previously in chapter 2. And it was his response in the question to the people trying to understand what is going on here. Now, if we appreciate and understand these words, which I hope which I hope we will do today, we'll see that it was a really, really long time coming. People expected this for a long time. And if we see that it was a long time coming and that God fulfilled it, we'll also see that that solidifies our own understanding of God as a promise keeper. And that's why the theme for today is as long as a long time coming. Let me give you the map. This is where we headed. Three really easy points. The first, who was Joel? I think that's important. Second, what did God promise 
through him back in the day. I was going to do some rhyming slang and say, what did God say back in the day? But then God didn't just say, he actually promised. So I went for the promise. And then the third one is, what does this mean for us here and now? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we open up your word, we believe and we are convinced that you speak through it. You revealed yourself to us in a mighty and a clear and a compelling way. And whenever we open up the scriptures, we want to learn more of you. We want to learn more about ourselves. We want to learn about how we should live. We want to learn about what we should do. We want to respond in faithfulness to you. I pray that your word would pierce our hearts this morning. If our hearts were hardened, I pray that your words would bring the orphan home like we sang earlier. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us as we open up the scriptures this morning. Make it clear to us. Make it plain to us. Compel us and move us and transform us through your word this morning. We pray that, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so guys, let's start. Who was Joel? Joel is a common Old Testament name. We see it early in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel. We also see it later in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah. It means Yahweh, or Yahweh, or Yahweh, if you want to, is God. That's what it means. Okay, so just a side note, if you don't know where the name Yahweh comes from, when Moses asked God, who are you? God said back to him, I am who I am. And if you take the words that God used in saying that, and you take the beginning consonants of those words and put them together, you get the name Yahweh. So it's a personal God, he has a name, we can refer to him as God, obviously, but this God has a name, his name is Yahweh. So Joel means Yahweh is God. It's a strong name. Anyone who needs to name a dog, a cat, or a child, Joel, great option. Just saying. We know that he's the son of Petuel, which we see in the beginning of the book of Joel. And then further than that, there's nothing that we know more personal about this man. Jewish tradition places him between Hosea and Amos. That's also the way that he was placed in the Old Testament. Uh, that's the way that he's also um, uh, arranged in our Bible. Now, Joel mentions Judah, which was the southern part of Israel. He mentions Jerusalem, which was the capital city of the southern part of Israel. He never speaks about the northern part of Israel called Israel, and he never speaks about Samaria, which was the capital city of Israel. So it is assumed that he spoke these words that was written down to us, that were written down to us, after 722 before Christ. I am going to throw with some dates now, but I'll put it on a slide for you. There, what you need to know is in 722, Samaria fell, the Assyrians destroyed it, and they completed the annexation of the whole northern part of Israel. Now, Joel was spoken and written under the circumstances, listen to this, of an invasion against the city of Jerusalem. So, forces invading Judah, the region, forces invading Jerusalem, the city, and these forces being either Assyria and Babylonia. So, think modern-day Iran or Iraq. That's where Assyria and Babylonia were situated. And somewhere between these invasions from these two global forces, Joel spoke and Joel's words were written down. So let me uh, show you a couple of dates that I think is really important. Now guys, it's not only important for today. These dates are important whenever you read the Old Testament, right? Because they are all relevant to the Old Testament. So there was an Assyrian invasion in the southern part of Israel in 701 BC. You can read about that in 2 Kings. 
There was a first Babylonian invasion in 598. You can also read about that in 2 Kings. And then there was a third, uh, a second Babylonian invasion, a third invasion from, uh, from the forces uh, from Mesopotamia in 588, 587, 586. It's known as the fall of Jerusalem. You can read about that in 2 Kings 25. Now, the book of Joel, its first half, describes present distress. We are in a crisis. And the second half of the book describes future deliverance. Right? The best is yet to come. Luckily, this isn't all there is. Hang on. Hang in there. I will save you. This isn't your final destination. Right? And that's kind of a pattern for the prophets. Whenever you read the Old Testament prophet, you'll see that. It starts in a colossal deficit and then it ends with beautiful promises. That's how all Old Testament prophets are written. Now, I think we can and should, as readers of this ancient text, appreciate the general character of both the distress on the one side and the deliverance on the other side. Anyone in this hall not a human being, right? Everyone's human, so we know what it means to experience distress. We know what it means to experience things like invasion or drought or desolation, even though it might not be physically. And we also know how beautiful deliverance is. We know how beautiful it is to return from something to something better. We know how beautiful it is when we experience victory over something that can be deemed our enemies. We know how beautiful it is to wait for this final judgment of God to come, right? So as humans, we can identify with this. The book of Joel was written in three chapters, and it's got four parts. There you go. Who was Joel? That was quite, that was quite neat, to be honest. Second-minute overview of the book of Joel. Second and more, most important point, we'll spend most of our time here, is the question, what did God promise through him back in the day? What did God promise through him back in the day? Now, why did I just give you all the info that I gave Because it's important for us to remember the context. It's important for us to remember the experiences of the people. Everything I just said, right? Desolation and invasion and drought and famine, they are no, it's not something to be taken lightly, right? That's life-threatening circumstances. So from the word go, we should say to one another, now, in these moments, we've got no idea how they felt. Because our lives are not being threatened as we sit here. But we have to get in the time machine. We have to go back to where they were and just think about the utter devastation and the utter hopelessness that they experienced. So in this utter hopelessness and in this desolation, God promises something through Joel. Now the last two parts of Joel, I said it's got four parts, the last two parts of Joel are, um, are parts of hope. Right? So hope is where it's at in the, uh, the last part of Joel. The first part emphasizes, now listen to these words, mm -mm -mm, prosperity, it emphasizes safety, and it emphasizes the outpouring of God's Spirit. Anyone want to buy a ticket? Just register via the link. I'm joking. Like, this is what you want now, isn't it? The second uh, part, or the last part of Joel, emphasizes the defeat and judgment of all hostile powers. Anyone or anything that could be against God's people will fall. And it emphasizes the restoration. Of Jerusalem and Judah. Guys, restoration is a beautiful thing. Something that is broken, something that is useless, being made whole and being made usable 
again. I want to translate prosperity, safety, outpouring, defeat and restoration into local Afrikaans-speaking South African English. It sounds like this. Here's what God promises in Joel. I will deal with your enemy. You will have food to eat. A special presence will be with you. Everything will be okay. That's what God says to his people. Now, where on earth did Joel get these ideas? Remember that Joel, as an Old Testament prophet, knowing the Hebrew Scriptures, knowing the story of God's people called the Israelites, knew about God's covenant. Right? So the first thing that Joel speaks from, or the first sets of beliefs that Joel speaks from, is from the covenant. Okay, so what's the covenant? Covenant is the agreement that God made with His people. That is a life and death agreement. It is a forever agreement. It's not a contract. It's not something that can be broken. It's an agreement in which both parties say, I will give my utmost to make this agreement work, because if I don't give my utmost and this agreement doesn't work, something is going to die, or someone is going to die. That is how high the stakes are. Right? It's not like purchasing a house or a car. It's giving your life to a cause. That is what God did with Abraham. Why? Because he wanted Abraham to be a blessing and he wanted all nations to be blessed through this family of Abraham. So Genesis 15, phenomenal chapter. Go and read it if you want to. That's where God made his covenant with Abraham. Now in that chapter of God making his covenant with Abraham, it becomes clear to us that the stakes are very high indeed. And that if this doesn't work out, something is going to break. Right? Something is going to go in the direction that it shouldn't go. It's going to go from blessing to curse. It's going to go from life to death. It's going to go from prosperity to adversity. It's going to go from abundance to lack. I mean, just call it antonyms, right? Just think about it. So the, the way of the covenants, all the positive ones, the way of the breaking of the covenants, all the negative ones. And as you know full well, or you might not know, this might be new info to you, in the Old Testament story, we see that the people of God nationally are disobedient. So they end up on the negative side of the covenant, right? They end up experiencing all the stuff that I just mentioned that we don't want to experience. And as we also know, through a covenant, someone needs to be disciplined if there was a time of disobedience. But God said, I'll pay the price to make the covenant right, so they can also expect a time in which God will bless them in ways that they have not yet experienced. Now, learn alert if you are a Bible nerd. This is where you need to take a solid note. If you read Joel 1 and 2, and you read Deuteronomy 32, you'll see a clear, clear, clear match, structurally and thematically. So what's Deuteronomy 32? Deuteronomy 32 is Moses, as an old man, just before they took the promised land, Explaining the whole law to God's people and then saying this, let me sing you a song. And then he sings them a song. Like Deuteronomy 32 is a song that tells the story of the covenant, that tells the story of blessing, curses, obedience, and disobedience. And you'll see in Joel chapter 1 and chapter 2 that this story is also being mapped out. This is what God wanted of you, this is what you got in the end. This is what God expected of you, but because of what you did, this is where you ended up in. So the theme of curse, you'll see in Joel 1 and 2, and the theme of restoration in as many varieties you'll also see. I'm just saying this so that you know that the message of Joel isn't actually a unique message. Okay. 
Another thing that's really important in the book of Joel is Joel speaks about the Holy Spirit for everyone. And that's really important. I actually wrote the proper English word, democratization of the Spirit. And I thought to myself, that's got a weird ring to it, so let's just call it the Spirit for everyone. So Joel says, the presence and power of the Spirit of God, as we, full know, as we know full well in the Old Testament, is a typical theme, right? Because God gives His presence and power to prophets to speak His will, to reveal His will, and to speak to His people. Joel takes this a step further, though. And in taking it a step further, is actually quite risky, right? We do see in the Old Testament that one actually expects uh, that God's Spirit only falls on certain individuals, such as prophets or kings, but not on everyone, because it was in specific moments to do a specific job. Actually, you can name it a basic assumption that in the Old Testament, if anyone would have said the Spirit is for everyone, people would have cringed. Even if you read something like Numbers chapter 11, uh, Moses appoints elders, the elders receive the Spirit, and then they all start prophesying, and then the people around them go, whoa, 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 this isn't a job for everyone. And then Moses goes, I know this isn't a job for everyone, but it would be actually phenomenal if everyone had the Spirit, because all of you would then know what to do, because you would have God's power, and you would have God's presence. Interesting about Joel is Joel mentions no other prophets in his own book. So that's also a murder alert. Uh, Obadiah or Obadiah, Jonah and Nahum also doesn't mention any other prophets. Okay, so the book of Joel calls our attention, this is an important point, to a different mode of fulfilling prophetic functions. Okay? And that mode is that in the coming age, the age we are in now, the disciple explained to us last week, this age of prosperity, safety, presence and restoration, all of God's people will possess and act via the empowering of the Spirit. Isn't that brilliant? Everyone. No longer will this important function, making them the will of God, declaring His mighty works, revealing Him to people, explaining His love and grace to us, reminding people of His covenant, saying what God's will is. This revelatory speech or this revelatory activity will not be limited to specially called or trained individuals. And I believe, I can just say that, as one of the guys who lead this church as a pastor, I believe that we all have exactly the same spirit, and all of us are empowered to do this work of ministry. So it's a high value for us as a church to say, well, do what the Spirit has called you to do, and do it well. Like, I'm not going to play your part of the field, because I'll play my part of the field. But if we all play together, then we'll be a phenomenal, spiritful team. Woo! Guys, did you see me almost going down that segue, but then making the new turn back to Joel? That was really close. Like the whole right side of my head lit up now, going, have the spirit hard now. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me come back. Let me come back. Okay. So the book of Joel says that everyone will have a beneficial and a direct encounter and an interaction with a living God. That's Joel. In that terrible circumstances of desolation and invasion. Now, it's clear to us today, in 2021, on the 10th of October, that the initial fulfillment of Joel's words about the Spirit came at the occasion of the Apostles' Pentecost experience. Acts chapter 2, the one that the disciples did at length last week. And this had an amazing effect on the church. That's also important to note. And that was, it stimulated the growth of the church, and it made the church prosper. So it did a new thing among God's people. This very thing that they've been waiting for for so long. 
So just back to Joel and its structure, and then I'll dig a little deeper in a lengthy description of enemy invasion and a call for repentance from God's people. Joel says there's a joyous promise of relief, compensation, and blessing. And this is where you need to start pointing your ears now, because we actually live in that reality. Let me tell you what I mean. In the book of Joel, there's ten types of restoration blessings being promised. How cool is that, guys? Like, not one promise, not two, but actually ten, which in the scope of the Old Testament is also a unique and perfect number, right? God is three, and seven is seen as a complete number. So if you count together three and seven and you get ten, that's like going extra and saying how many promises he made to us. In this part of Joel, that Peter quotes, Joel actually mentions six of these restoration blessings to God's people. I want to show them to you. So the language is quite high, but I'll make it more plain. Look what he says. He says there will be a renewal of divine favor and presence. You'll experience experience God's blessing, and he'll be with you. There will be a renewal of the covenant. God will make right what you wrong. Isn't that just absolutely phenomenal? There's a restoration of orthodoxy. Love this one. Check it out. Back to basics. Like, stick to what we know. Because the problem with God's people in the Old Testament was they kept on adding to His Word. And we are kind of all back to the same, I think, in this time of history. Just stick to the basics. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, resurrected from the dead, pouring His Spirit out of His people. Let's keep going, guys. Like, that's the game plan. Right? So there will be a restoration to orthodoxy. There will be agricultural bounty. Food, lots of food. There will be power over enemies, and there will be freedom from death and destruction. So once again, if I send you a link to register for this now, who would not immediately click on it? This is what we want. This is what we long for. This is the place that we seek to go every time we find ourselves in sackcloth and ashes. Every time something that we pointed towards gets broken, we experience hardship, heartache, or broken relationships, or some form of um, um, of persecution, this is what we want. And this passage of Joel that Peter quotes looks happily to an era in which both the physical and spiritual needs of God's people will be fully met. Guys, do you realize that? We actually live in a time where your physical and your spiritual needs are met. That is the reality of the gospel. It was promised back then, but it happened in Acts. And when it happened in Acts, Peter got up and he immediately knew it. Now just sit for a minute in this expectation, thinking of where those people were when he spoke those words. Who wouldn't want it back then? For me personally, it would be, can I just get the next slide please? It would be like someone announcing now. Guys, all restrictions gone. Mask off, handshakes, clicks, kisses, hands in the same food bowl, no curfew, travel where you want, no swab in the nose, nothing, right, for me personally. That would be absolutely phenomenal, right? To have that expectation of someone announcing this, it's similar to the people in the Old Testament. Because look where they were, and look what they experienced. And then Joel says, this is what is waiting for you. Now, this part of Joel, not done with Joel yet, this part of Joel is quoted, are quoted, is quoted. 
I don't know is quoted to one extent or another nine times in the New Testament. Look at this. Nine times in the New Testament, this portion of scripture gets quoted. Right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four Gospels. In the book of Acts, more than once. In Romans, in Titus, and in Revelation. Why? Because this promise was huge and this promise was fulfilled. Like in the New Testament, people wanted, as they wrote these books, to their specific audience, in their specific context, they wanted people to know that this happened. It's there for the taking. You don't have to wait anymore. That's why when the events of Pentecost happened, and the Spirit got poured out, Peter was like, Duh! I know exactly what's going on here, we've been waiting for this for so long. That's why he got up, right? I know that people ask questions, and I know that people experience many supernatural things in that moment, but Peter knew what was happening. Slide. So, uh, you were a kid at some point. Some of us might have kids. A kid, mostly, struggles to wake up morning after morning for daily activities. But the morning you go on holiday, a kid wakes up like this, right? I mean, I remember, I was a kid not too long ago, that there's just something about knowing that it's here, right? That you get up with excitement and you say, Mom, Dad, get up, wake up, wake up, wake up, we have to go on holiday. Look at me, so ready for this. I have been waiting for this. That's Peter. Well, it's not really Peter. It's a girl. But that's Peter in the scriptures. Knowing what's happening in front of him. Getting up and going, oh, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting for this day for so, so long. That should be us. Realizing that this has happened. Realizing that we don't have to wait for it anymore. Realizing that the excitement and the blessing that comes with it is there for today. Third point, and then let me land the plane. What does this mean for us here now? Right, so we spoke about who was Joel. We spoke about what God promised through the prophet of Joel, hoping that you appreciate a book like Joel even more. Uh, we will get back to our Old Testament book at some point in our scripture diet. Here's what it means. I'm going to make it plain in South African English. I want to bless you, and I want to be with you. Just sit with that for a second. Somehow, for some reason, rational Western intellectuals, the moment you tell them that they want to be blessed, they meet it with suspicion, and I don't know why. Because we have a dad who wants to be good to us, who wants to give us more than we need, who wants to give us in abundance, who promises to have our best interest at all. Why would we not receive it? Just think about it first. That's what God says. I want to bless you. I want to be with you. I will be with you. This cosmic creator God lives in us, longing for us, wanting to be with us. He says, I will keep my side of the deal. It means to us that the basics is that God loves us and that he forgave our sins. And we can return to that. It means we've got a food to eat. It means that God will deal with our enemy. It means that death has no power over, over us over you, and it means that you have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's what this whole portion of scripture and the fulfillment of this promise means to us here and 
Think about it, guys. Who would not want this? And if you haven't, if you have had it, and if you maybe forgot about it, why would you not want to return to That's what God promises us. That's what He did for us in pouring out His Spirit. In the shortest possible way, what this means for us is that everything will be okay. Come to me. I've made a way for you. I've made a way for you. Let's get back to prosperity. Let's get back to abundance. Let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to intimacy. Let's get back to the place where I actually created you to be, that you wandered off, that I fixed. And let's do it in a new and a compelling way, in a way that God does inside of us. God, do you know how liberating that is for us to know that we can have church in this building? And do it for me, can have church in that building? And someone else can have church in a building just down the road? Because God isn't in one specific building. He's everywhere through His Holy Spirit. If we were all desperate people, we would have had to make a pilgrimage. We've had to buy a pigeon. We've had to burn the pigeon. We've had to stand there, look at the pigeon bird, and then go, oh, thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. It's an impossible way to live. You cannot do it. And that's why God erased it and created a new covenant for His people. And He fulfilled His promises. Here's what it means for us. And then I'm landing with this. Salvation is available to all who turn in faith to the true God. He promised it back there. He fulfilled it in Acts chapter 2. To all. Guys, that's our task. But then he spoke about us being outwardly focused. That's all we need to say to people. Is that Jesus made a way for you. And that you are welcome. Come. Because he loves you. Secondly, it means for us that there's no distinction of spirituality on the basis of age, gender, or social status. The great leveler. There's not a single person more important than another in the kingdom of God. How cool is that? Jesus, in fact, says that if you want to be awesome, then get down there and serve. That's how the kingdom of God works. And thirdly, it means that God's Spirit will be available to both young and old, to both male and female, to both slave and free. That's why we want to be a diverse church. Let me just say that to you. <laughs> I want to see a multi, 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 multi everything. Multi age, multi cultural, multi language, multi spirituality, multi social class, multi everything. And then for us to be this family that can transcend all of this and move past this into this beautiful family of God. That's what it means to us in the new age. Maria and I love listening to Imagine Dragons. Is one of the songs where he sings, Welcome to the new age. And I know he doesn't mean this new age, but then I go, Amen. Preach. Because we are in the new age. I want to leave you with this thought. I want to leave you with a slide, actually. Just look at this once more. And ask yourself if this is the lens that you look at. Ask yourself if this is your reality. Because, guys, if you're a Christian today, you confess faith in Jesus Christ, then this is your lens. This is your reality. This is your truth. This is your Facebook story. This is your profile pic. The fact that we are blessed, that God is with us, that He uh, uh, renewed His promise with us, that we know what to do, that He gave us more than daily bread, that we have power over our enemies, and that we will not die. There we go. That is what we believe.
And I think when we read Acts chapter 2, we read these words, and we realize the magnitude and the weight with which this fulfillment came. There's really only one thing that pops up in my head. Back in 2010, Soccer World Cup, South Africa. Kenako! And they did the subtitle, Feel It. It is here. Do you remember that? Well, guys, that's what the scripture tells us today. Feel it. It is here. That's right. Lord Jesus, we will sing, come Holy Spirit, move among us until you come back. Because that is our greatest need, our greatest longing, and our greatest heart at this point. Because of your Spirit moving among us, we will return to these things. I pray that you would remove false lenses from our eyes. I pray that you would remove false filters from our ears. I pray that you would make our hearts soft if we don't believe in these things anymore. I pray that you would give us this perspective. That we'll walk out here today as people richly, richly, richly blessed. We live in a time of abundance and prosperity and blessing. And may that be our lens, regardless of what faces us in the world out there. May we hold on to this. May we stand firm on this. May we have the zeal, the courage of the apostles who experienced this and then went to share the good news for the whole world when we read these words. Do not leave us unchanged, Lord Jesus. We give permission for your spirit to transform us and to shape us. Thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good day.